We've been in a series together over the last number of weeks. We're calling What's Right With You. We're taking our attention off of anything and everything that may be wrong, anything that's wrong physically, anything that's wrong mentally, anything that's wrong financially or relationally, and we're putting our attention where? On what's right with us. Because when you find out what's right with you, that will fix what's wrong with you. And as we've stated a number of times before, you'll never fix what's wrong by talking about what's wrong. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? That would be like saying to somebody who's, who's really of small stature, really short, real, real little guy. And you, you, you see him one day and he's just all stressed out. He's worried. He's struggling. He's sweating. And you, and you say to him, what, what's wrong, man? What's going on? And he says, I'm just, I'm just trying so hard to be taller. Just trying so hard. Well, Jesus said, how can worrying about it add one cubit to your stature? Worrying about being taller has never made anybody taller. And we look at that and go, well, duh, you know, of course. But the same principle applies to everything. Being worried about your finances? Come on. Has that ever added a dollar to anybody? Worried about it? Worried about what's wrong? Has that ever fixed the problem? No. That's why he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his... That's what's right. Seek what's right. And everything you need will be added to you. That's what we've been doing here is discovering what's right. What's right with us. And our foundation scripture for this is in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. We've looked at it a number of times. Let's look at it again, uh, uh, together again. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, he said, if anyone is in Christ, somebody shout, that's me. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now, this verse in particular, and everything we're studying, but especially this verse, is about one thing, identity. Identity. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, or he's got a new identity. I want you to bear that in mind today. He said, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not putting their, imputing their trespasses to them, or in other words, not holding their sin against them. Aren't you thankful God's not holding anything against you? I mean, he could, couldn't he? Is there anything you've ever done, I've ever done, that he could be holding against you right now? Yeah. Yeah, he could be. But instead, he reconciled us to him and chose not to hold it against us. And then turned around and gave to us this word of reconciliation. The same thing he did in Jesus, through Jesus for us. He's given us that same word, and we're supposed to be now doing that for other people. That's why he says, now then we're ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, 
Say this next part with me. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of God. This is what's right with you. And it's what's right with you right now. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, if you've been hanging out with us over the last several weeks, we are endeavoring by the help of the Holy Spirit to put these words in our mouths more often. This simple confession, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And I told you a few weeks ago, you need to be saying that more. And I hope you have been. If you haven't, then pick up with us on it. You need to be saying it all the time. It needs to be a part of your regular conversation. And it doesn't even have to be conversation with anybody else. Come on, you talk to yourself. I know you do. We all do. And part of what you need to be saying to you and about you all the time is what? I am the righteousness of God. Now, don't forget those last two words. Without those last two words, you're lying. Without those last two words, you're deceived. It is an incomplete and therefore powerless confession to say, I'm the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness. It sounds good, doesn't it? I'm the righteousness of God, bless God. If you forget those last two words, if you're not constantly aware of those last two words, what are they? In Christ. Those two words are what put, puts power in the words before that. You are not the righteousness of God in you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's identity. To say that I'm in him is to say that I identify with him. Man, have we heard that phrase thrown around these last few years more than any other time in human history. I identify. Have you heard anybody identify as something lately? <laughs> you're, you're nervous. I know, I'm watching all the same stuff online on the news you're watching. People are identifying as you name it. Any old thing that comes to mind. Well, if they can identify as that, I can identify as the righteousness of God in Christ. That's my identity. That's what this, this entire study has been about. And if you dig a little deeper, you find out that's what the Word of God is about. It's about you finding out who you are in Him. While the rest of this world asks this question in desperation, who am I, who am I, who am I? I don't know who I am. Can somebody tell me who I am? That question is a waste of your time. The question you should be asking and answering is, who am I in him? That's how you find out who you are. Who am I in Christ Jesus? And in Christ Jesus, I'm a new creation. In Christ Jesus, the old me is dead and gone. In Christ Jesus, my sin is not being held against me. In Christ Jesus, I have been reconciled to God. In Christ Jesus, me and God are good. In Christ Jesus, there's nothing between me and him but faith and love. In Christ Jesus, I am the righteousness of God. In him. That's my identity. 
the uh, New Living Translation says it like this. He said that God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, that we could be made right with God. That's what righteousness means, made right with God through Christ. The Amplified Classic Bible says that we're the righteousness of God. That means it's what we ought to be. In other words, that's what you were created to be, right with God, approved, acceptable, and in right relationship with him by his goodness. Approved, well, if you're approved, that means you're not disapproved. And that seems so obvious, but how many people live their entire lives on this earth struggling to believe that God approves? They're constantly being told, either by themselves or by others, that God doesn't approve, God doesn't approve, God doesn't approve. Well, he may not approve of every dumb thing we've ever done, but when it comes to who you are, when you are in Christ, he approves. He approves. Not only are you approved of, you're acceptable, which means you're not rejected. And I think if there's any one thing that the human nature deals with in this life more than anything else, it's rejection. People suffer rejection from family. They suffer rejection from friends. But I'm here to tell you this morning that let the whole world reject you. Your God never will. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are not rejected. You are accepted. And you're in right relationship with him. And as we mentioned last week, that is the sweetness of life, being in right relationship. Isn't that good when, when relationship is good, when relationship is right? You could have a bunch of other things that look good, seem good, feel good. But if the relationships in your life are off, none of that other stuff seems to matter. Relationships are valuable. The most important and valuable thing God has ever given you is people. The people in your life are the greatest gift he's ever given you. Amen? And to be in right relationship with them is the sweetness of life. To be in right relationship with God, there's nothing else any better than that. Glory to God. So last week I asked you this question. How would you know if you actually believed that? Now, we're just a few minutes into this this morning. I'm already shouting and preaching to you, and you're sitting up in church on a Sunday, and you know that the right response is, amen, preach it, that's good, I believe that. But how do we know? Beyond you just saying, yeah, I believe, yeah, I agree, how do we know? How do we look at your life and see the evidence that you actually believe that you're the righteousness of God in Christ, that you actually believe that you are accepted in the beloved, that you really do believe that you're not rejected by him, but that your relationship is right with God. Because there's supposed to be evidence, right? This stuff we talk about is supposed to show up in our lives. <laughs> That's the idea, isn't it? There's supposed to be proof, living proof. So how do we know? Let me ask that same question to you this week. Let me, let me rephrase it a little bit for the sake of what we're going to get into here. How do we know what you identify as? Now, all these other people in our world right now claiming to identify as this and that and the other, that shows up, doesn't it? They, they literally wear <laughs> what they identify as. How do we know what you identify as? I'm not here to preach on all that other stuff this morning. <laughs> You're here. I'm talking to you. How do we know that you identify as the righteousness of God in Christ? Well, we looked at this verse last week, and we'll put it on the screen again for you. It's from the book of Proverbs, chapter 28, 
verse 1, this is a defining characteristic of those who believe they are the righteousness of God. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 1, what the wicked flee, they run away when no one pursues. That's fear as a way of life. Constantly terrified about what's coming. And there ain't even nothing chasing them. Sorry, that was a terrible English sentence. I just, ain't even nothing. But you got the point, didn't you? There's nothing chasing them. And yet they're running. That's fear as a way of life. That is the defining characteristic of the wicked. Or you could say those who are not the righteousness of God in Christ. Fear defines them. And just so we're clear, fear is not a feeling. Feelings come with it, but fear is not a feeling. Fear is a spirit. But God has not given you the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Fear is not a feeling, it's a spirit. Fear is a prison. It keeps people locked up. It keeps them frozen, unable to step out in faith. Fear is a spirit. Fear is a prison. It's a spirit that must be resisted. But it is a defining characteristic of those who are not the righteousness of God in Christ. But how many of you would raise a hand and say, we're supposed to be different? Do you believe that? Man, I believe that. I believe there is supposed to be a difference between us and an unbelieving world. And that, that difference is supposed to be visible. That difference is supposed to be audible, tangible. That difference is supposed to be showing up on a daily basis in our lives. So if the wicked, put that back up there for us, if the wicked are defined by their fear, the unrighteous, they're running when no one pursues, what's the difference between us and them? The righteous, shout it out, that's me. What are you? Bold as a lion. Have you noticed this about lions? They don't run from much. They're not running in fear. The righteous, in contrast to the wicked, we are as bold as a lion. We talked a lot about that last week. We looked at another verse together from the book of Isaiah that tells us about lions. It says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 29, their roaring will be like a lion. Can I hear you roar this morning? All right, all right. They will roar like young lions. Yes, they will roar and lay hold of the prey. Now, if you actually believed this, that you're the righteousness of God, if you identify as the righteousness of God in Christ, one of the defining characteristics in your life would be a total lack of fear and being full of boldness. When the world around you is running in fear, what are you doing? You're advancing in faith. With a boldness, listen, that reaches beyond the uncertainty of the future. This is what keeps people locked in the prison of fear. They don't take steps of boldness, take steps of faith into the future. Why? Because we don't know what's out there. We don't know what could be waiting for us there. People don't take steps of faith into their future for one silly reason. They've never been there before. But that's not a good reason if you're the righteousness of God in Christ to stay locked in the prison of fear your whole life. Maybe you've never been to the future, but your God has. 
As a matter of fact, the Word says He inhabits eternity. How many of you would raise a hand and say, I believe God is here, present, in me, on me, with us, present right now. You believe that? Well, check this out. He's as much in your future right now as He is in your present right now. How's He do that? He's God. And when you identify with Him, He's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit who will show you things to come. Why is that part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to show you things to come? To suck all the fear out of the future. You can go to the future into it with boldness when everybody's running from it in fear. Why? Because you've got the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you. And perhaps he hasn't painted a perfect picture that gives you all the details about it, but you've got enough confidence in you when he says step, you step. When he says move, you move. Because he's not leading you into something that's going to hurt you. He's not leading you into something that's going to rob, steal, kill, destroy from you. He's leading you into something that's good. He's been to your future and back. And he is your guide. He's your guide that shows you things to come. You and I have a serious unfair advantage over the rest of this unbelieving world. How'd we get that? How'd we get that advantage? Well... We're righteous in him. Amen. So we talked last week about the roar of the righteous. And we see here in that verse that this is one of the big things that lions do. And you probably knew that without me telling you. They roar. Look at it again, Isaiah 5, 29. Their roaring will be like the roar of young lions. They will roar, he said, and they will lay hold. Two things lions do. Number one, they roar. And it is a serious, serious roar. It is a roar that scares away their enemy. It is a roar that marks and defines their territory and what belongs to them. And you've got that same roar of the righteous on the inside of you. And we looked to the ministry of Jesus. If you remember this, if you were with us last week, we talked about how people were astonished. And it wasn't just the miracles. It wasn't just the signs and the wonders. They were astonished at his teaching, at the words coming out of his mouth. He said, they said, what is this teaching? He teaches like somebody with authority, with authority, with some boldness, with some confidence. That's the roar of the righteous. You've got that same roar on the inside of you. It is a roar that scares away your enemy. It is a roar that defines and marks what belongs to you. Amen. And God's given you that roar. You have within you the roar of the righteous. I want to hear it again. Come on, let me hear that roar this morning, church. There you go. But the word boldness literally has to do with the words that come out of your mouth. The word itself literally means unreservedness of speech. Lions don't roar quietly. They roar, and you can hear it for up to five miles away. That's not quiet. That's not sheepish. That's not scared. There's not a trace of fear in that roar. And you've got that same thing on the inside of you. So two things lions do. What do they do? Number one, roar. They roar. Now, number two, this is what I want to get into. 
this week. According to this verse, they roar and they lay hold. They lay hold of the prey, or you could say it like this, they lay hold of what they desire. Now, traditional religious teaching does not emphasize you laying hold. It doesn't emphasize you taking. Traditional religious teaching doesn't emphasize you possessing by faith what belongs to you in Christ. Many people, and maybe some of you in here were grown, uh, grew up and you were taught about the quote-unquote sovereignty of God that basically that teaching would say, if God wants you to have something, you'll have it. If he doesn't want you to have it, you won't have it. Now the implication is that you don't have anything to do with it. The implication of that emphasis is you have nothing to do with receiving anything from God. But that is not what the Bible teaches. That is not true. The Bible talks to us about laying hold. Now it's going to take some boldness to lay hold. I want to read something to you that came as a word from the Lord through my grandfather, Kenneth Copeland, a number of years ago, back in November of 2011. Do we have that? I think we were going to try to put that. There we go. Take a look at this as I read it to you. Pay attention to these words. The word of the Lord came to him and he said, I have a great storehouse. Much more has been stored up in the storehouse of riches beyond your wildest dream that I laid up for you before the foundation of the world. Much more is stored up there than what the church has ever called for. I have not held back on the church, saith the Lord, and the God of plenty. I've made it available to you. I've put it in my word. I gave you promise and stood behind it with the blood, the precious blood of your Savior. But there's been a backwardness in my people about what? Laying hold. There's been a backwardness in my people about laying hold of the things that I've provided for you. But I will say this, there is a people in the land, there is a people around the world, there is a people strong and mighty and growing much stronger and much mightier and more bold to lay hold and put their claim of faith on the things I have laid up for you. And it thrills me because it has been yours all the time. Thank you, Lord. This was the word of the Lord. In essence, he was saying, I've got things that I've stored up for you. But did you notice what he said there? There's been a backwardness in my people. There's been a backwardness, and I might say in their mentality, about how you lay hold of the things that he stored up for us. But I like what the Lord said there. He said, there is a people. There is a people that are growing strong, mighty, growing stronger and mightier. He said, there's a people in the church. There's a people around the world. I might add, there's a people in Green Mountain Falls, Colorado that are growing stronger and mightier and more bold to lay hold. Bold to lay hold. Let's say it together. I am bold to lay hold.
Lay hold of what? Well, let's find out from the word what we're supposed to be laying hold of. Let me give you several verses here. We'll put them on the screen. You don't have to turn there. But the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, a verse you're familiar with, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace. You've heard this verse. I've heard this verse. And sometimes these verses that we've heard over and over are the last ones to really sink in. But let this, let, let the Spirit of God really get across to you what he's saying to you here. He is inviting you to not only come before the throne of God, which that in and of itself is like, wow, right? That is awesome. He's inviting you up to the very throne. And people, they know this verse is in the Bible. They've heard it. They've read it. Many of them have preached it. But yet in demonstration, in their prayer life, in their believing, how do they talk? Do they talk about coming right up to the throne of God? No, they talk about let us pray. Let us stand out here and bombard the gates of heaven. Have you ever heard anybody talk like that? But what are they revealing? They're acting like this verse doesn't even exist. They're out there bombarding gates that aren't closed. Oh, God, oh, God, we pray that our, somehow our voice would come before you in the heavens. We, we plead with you, oh, God, don't you see the state our poor nation is in? Oh, God, we plead with you. They're standing out there at the gates. And God's like, what you doing out here? But yet this is how people with a traditional religious mindset think. They're pleading with God, but they are not responding to his invitation to come on in. He's invited you to the throne. But not only has he invited you to the throne, he told you how to come. And how was that? Boldly. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.